It has been one year here at Northwest. So we're excited about that as well. Yeah. Time flies when you're having fun. I hope you guys are enjoying the journey as much as I am. It's been a joy and privilege to be here for a year and uh, many years to come. Uh, We started this series on the Christ-centered church, and we defined last week what the Christ-centered church was. It is a church that glorifies Christ with being on mission together. And uh, the first characteristic last week we talked about was a spirit-filled church. As the, the, the Holy Spirit is poured out among His people, the church, in Acts chapter 1 and 2 to accomplish the work of God there. And we see almost 3,000 people coming to faith and joining in to the work of God and what he is going to do in Judea, Samaria, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And this morning, we look at what happens when the church is centered about around glorifying God, and when it is filled with the Holy Spirit, the result is gospel proclamation. So this morning, we're looking at gospel proclamation, the Christ-centered church. Sowing seeds of the Word of God into the lives of people. Sowing seeds of the Word of God not only into one another's life as the church, the body of Christ, but sowing seeds of the Word of God into the lives of the lost, into the lives of people without hope, bringing them good news. Last week we saw a little bit of this in Acts chapter 2 when the Holy Spirit came upon the disciples. It was accompanied by gospel proclamation. Peter preaches the gospel and the people respond with what shall we do? Peter says repent and be baptized and receive the Holy Spirit. In the Great Commission, Jesus says, Go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You see, to have baptism, there must be gospel proclamation. And I've said it many times in this baptistry up here when we baptize people, baptism is proclaiming the gospel. When someone is baptized, they are proclaiming that the gospel has had an effect on their life, that now God is their life. They have died, and now they live with Christ. When we are baptized, we are proclaiming the gospel, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Christ now inside of us. This is an amazing feat. And this morning we give... We look at one of the examples of Christ himself proclaiming the gospel and teaching his disciples of what happens in gospel proclamation. So this may be a very well-known parable that you look at this morning, but I want you to look at it with spiritual ears this morning. So let's let's open our Bibles to Luke chapter 8, verse 1. We'll start there. It's on page 865 
in the Pew Bible in front of you. If you'll stand in honor of reading God's Word this morning, we can read that together as we read from Luke chapter 8, verse 1, page 864, excuse me, the Bible in front of you. Soon afterward, he went on through cities and villages, talking about Jesus, proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. And the twelve were with him, and also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities, Mary, called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out, Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's household manager, and Susanna, and many others who provided for them out of their means. And when a great crowd was gathering and people from town after town came to him, he said in a parable, a sower went out to sow his seed. And as he sowed, some fell along the path and was trampled underfoot, and the birds of the air devoured it. And some fell on the rock, and as it grew up, it withered away because it had no moisture. And some fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up with it and choked it. And some fell into good soil and grew and yielded a hundredfold. And he said these things, he called them out. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And when his disciples asked him what this parable meant, he said, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God, but for others they are in parables, so that seeing they may not see and hearing they may not understand. Now the parable is this, the seed is the word of God. The one along the path are those who have heard. Then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. And the ones on the On the rock are those who, when they heard the word, receive it with joy, but these have no root. They believe for a while, and in time of testing, fall away. And as for those, as for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear. But as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. And as for that, in the good soil, they are those who, hearing the word of God, hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. This is God's word to us this morning. May we be seated and we'll pray. Father, as we open your word and see the mysteries of the kingdom of God and hear the mysteries of the kingdom of God. May you convict us through the power of your Holy Spirit. Father, may you help us to walk with you (coughs) according to your word, according to your truth. May we be a church that proclaims the gospel, that sows seed among the fields in which you have placed us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I don't know a lot about farming. I I did a a few farming activities at this last mission trip in Santa Cruz. It's one of the reasons why I like to go on mission is because um, a lot of times I get to do things that I have never done before and relate those things to the word of God and to the gospel. And one of the things I don't really know how to do or do very well is farming. Yes, I did live in Holdenville for five years, but I do not know how to farm. 
There's a movie called Faith Like Potatoes, and it's an interesting movie even for non-farmers. In the movie, the farmer has a few dry seasons and doesn't produce a crop. He becomes desperate, and he plants a crop of potatoes. Everybody thinks that he's crazy because sometimes potatoes don't produce. It's a really risky move. He's about to lose his farm, and he needs rain, and so he prays to the Lord for rain. It's a true story about one man's faith. You see, potatoes are unlike most crops. You plant them, you cover them with dirt, and then you just pray for rain. Unlike most crops, you can't see if the potato is growing or not. You can't see it because it's under the earth. It takes faith to see if there's a harvest. One does not know if the heat has scorched the crop, if there's just dirt underneath, or if there's fruit, if there is a potato. Sometimes these seeds are expensive in which you plant these potatoes. You see, gospel proclamation is a lot like planting potatoes in which you throw the seed out, not knowing where it is going, and you trust that God is going to do what only he can do. Jesus says the kingdom of God is like that, in which the word of God is sown into the hearts of man, often not knowing whether the soil is good or not, not knowing what kind of person this heart is that you're sharing the gospel with. But we sow the seeds of the gospel into the fields in which God has sent us to sow. And guess what? This parable shows us that we know that there will be hurts, that there will be rejections, that there will be people that we are walking with in discipleship and fail and fall. Some will not receive the message. Some will. When the world around them gets difficult or the world around them becomes enticing, they will not bear fruit. But the promise of God is that some will bear fruit. Some of the soil in which we plant the seeds, will reproduce a hundredfold, and God will produce growth in the life of his church, in the life of people who are called to him. It is the church, the people of God, which their responsibility is to proclaim the good news of Christ to a lost and dying world, no matter what we think may happen. Luke chapter 8, verse 1 through 3 says this, Soon afterward he went on through the cities and villages, proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God, 
and the twelve were with him, and also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities, Mary called Magdalene, of whom seven demons have gone out, and jo Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's household, manager, and Susanna, and many others who provided for them out of their means. You see, Jesus is going from place to place declaring the good news or the gospel of the kingdom of God. Earlier in Luke, it tells us Jesus is going to synagogues, places of worship for the Jews, on the Sabbath. And in one of these places, he opens a scroll, he opens the word of God, and he declares from Isaiah chapter 61, he says this, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll, he gave it back to the attendant, and he sat down. And all the eyes of in the synagogue were fixed on them and he began to say to them today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing this is our first point this morning as we look at christ and his proclamation of the good news of the kingdom of god in the places in which he went the christ-centered church proclaims the gospel why? Because that is what Jesus did, and that is what he has called his disciples to do. He gives us the example. He came to proclaim the gospel. The Christ-centered church proclaims the gospel. We see this example throughout the gospel of Luke. Repeatedly, Jesus goes from place to place proclaiming the good news about the kingdom of God. Luke chapter 4 says this, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to other towns as well, for I was sent for this purpose. This week... Um, we did our first equip series, and Zach actually mentioned it. And so on Wednesday night, and uh, we're going to get some child care the next time we have this. But um, it, it's a really good workshop of understanding how to put these truths into practice. And so we went over four ways in which you can share the gospel and put tools in your toolkit. I would love to, to share those with you if you weren't there. But one of the ways is your testimony. I've preached on this, we've talked about it, but if you want to look at Acts chapter 26, Paul gives the example of his testimony to Agrippa, life before Christ, encounter with Christ, life uh, after Christ, a clear gospel presentation and invitation. We also looked at the, the three circles. I don't know if you've seen people, but they have these stickers on their phones in our church, and they go around and sharing these three circles with people. Basically, God's design is good. We ran from it in sin. The world is broken. Jesus came as king. He came to die on the cross for us, and now he's rose again, so he calls for us to repent and believe and give us new life that we can enjoy God's design for eternity. And now he's called us to go back into the broken world and share the gospel. And one more thing, the Evangicube, I don't have that up here, but the Evangicube and and storing the creation to Christ story. Four, four ways to share the gospel. I'd love to share those with you at some time. But at the end of that, that workshop, I gave a scripture, and this is my prayer for Northwest. It's Colossians 4.2. It says this, Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving, 
At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I'm in prison, that I may make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom towards outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. You see, this is my prayer for Northwest. That God would open a door for us to declare the mysteries of Christ. I love this word in the Greek. It's called keruso or proclamation. It is a public and authoritative herald of the message. Usually it's an official message. Literally, the word here is, is not to, to kind of gently go, go across the street and go, hey, I, uh, I just wanted to invite you to church. But it's a proclamation, a, a resounding word of an official message that Christ has come. It's public. It's authoritative. It's an announcement. MacArthur says this, to preach the good news of God is to proclaim the good news that sinners can be delivered from Satan's kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of God's beloved Son. It is an announcement. This is what we do every Sunday. We gather for the preaching or the proclamation of God's word, of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And hopefully, hopefully it has an effect upon our life. This is why we uphold this, the gathering of the believers, the proclamation of the word. We do not take this lightly. This is the good news. This is the official message of Christ that people can be transferred from the domain of darkness and into His light. A sinner like myself can be washed clean, that we can be made right with God because of the sacrifice of Christ. We can enter into the kingdom of God. That we ourselves can be kingdom citizen sons and daughters of the king. This is proclamation. The gospel is not just a message that one can be saved. It is the message in which one grows toward godliness and walking with God as well. We never grow past the gospel. We grow in the gospel. That's why we preach the gospel every single time we open up the word of God. We bring it back to Christ. Notice Jesus in this text here. He mentions the 12 disciples and some of the women by name that he upholds as followers of Christ that are helping him do, fulfill the gospel proclamation after being with Jesus, as he proclaims the good news, he will actually send these disciples into other villages and towns to do the very same thing that he is doing. He will send the 12 in chapter 9. He will send the 22 in chapter 10. 
And then he tells, after he shows them what he's doing and proclaiming the gospel, he shows what will happen when the disciples proclaim the gospel. In verse 4, look at it with me together. And when a great crowd was gathering and the people from town after town came to him, he said in a parable, a sower went out to sow his seed, and as he sowed, some fell along the path. And it was trampled underfoot, and the birds of the air devoured it, and some fell on the rock. And as it grew up, it withered away because it had no moisture. Some fell on the thorns, and the thorns grew up with it and choked it. And some fell into good soil and grew and yielded a hundredfold. And he said these things. He called out, he who has ears, let him hear. You see, a parable is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. And this parable is different than a lot of the parables Jesus tells us because he actually interprets the parable for us. He tells us the meaning of the parable. He tells us who the characters in the parable represent. And he tells us about the kingdom of God through these parables. Verse 9, And when his disciples asked him what this parable meant, he said, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God. But for others, they are in parables, so that seeing they may not see and hearing they may not understand. God is the only one that gives us the ability to understand his word. The Holy Spirit gives us the insight that we need to understand what he has said according to the scriptures. And Jesus speaks in parables so that we may understand and others may not. Now the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. The ones along the path are those that have heard. And the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. And the ones on the rock are those who, when they heard the word, receive it with joy. But these have no root. They believe for a while, and in the time of testing, they fall away. And as for those who fell among the thorns, they are those who hear. But as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life. And their fruit does not mature. As for that in the good soil, they are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. We're giving early on in this this explanation, the interpretation of the parable, the key to the story. The key to unlock this parable, as Jesus says, the seed is the word of God. Again, the word of God points us to who? To Christ. The law points us to our need for Christ. The Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, point to Jesus as the Messiah, the Son of God. John even says that this is the reason why the book is written, that by believing in Christ, you may have life in His name. And so the word of God is the seed that is being sown. The kingdom of God, these seeds are being sown. The sower, the church, whoever it may be, the disciples, Christ himself here in this text, is sowing the gospel, the word of God about Christ and his salvation to the fields. And in this first soil, we see something. We see that there is a battle. 
being waged for the souls of mankind. Verse 12, the ones along the path are those who have heard. Then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. The devil, the adversary, comes along and takes away the word of God. I believe the battle is being waged right here, today, this morning. As some of you hear the gospel and the word of God being preached, I believe the battle is waged when we step outside these walls and we proclaim the gospel to our neighbor, to our coworker. to those in desperate hurt and desperate need that walk around in the domain of darkness. I believe the battle is actually being waged in the other two soils as well. Persecution and the desires and pleasures of this world. Paul in his letter to the Thessalonian church says that during their time of persecution that he was worried that the tempter had tempted them. And their labor was in vain because of the persecution that that church was under. In Ephesians 2, he also equates the passions of the flesh with following the enemy, Satan himself, who does not want God's people to reproduce spiritual fruit. This is our second point this morning. Knowing the gospel and growing in the gospel is spiritual warfare. Knowing the gospel and growing in the gospel is spiritual warfare. Better have your shield ready. Better have the breastplate of righteousness ready. Better have the helmet of salvation ready. And oh, by the way, you need the sword of the Spirit to pierce through darkness to help people to see the truth of the Word. 2 Corinthians 4.3 says this, And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled only to those who are perishing. And in their case, the God of this world, who is Satan, has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. The God of this world has blinded them from seeing who Christ is. The glory of of Christ, the gospel of Christ. Have you ever thought of gospel proclamation as spiritual warfare? I hope you have. You probably understand the word of God as the sword of the Spirit. But have you ever thought about the light in darkness is the proclamation of the gospel. And how can we, as the people of God, proclaim this gospel, proclaim this word of God without knowing it? How can we do that? We cannot. One idea that Jesus doesn't even address in this parable is the seed that is not sown. 
The seed that doesn't even reach the ground. The seed that stays in his basket. Can you imagine being a servant of the master? And he says, go sow seeds in this field. This field by your workplace. This field by your neighborhood. And then having the seed to sow. But then saying, oh well, I'm a bit nervous. The ground might not be right. Or I'm not sure how to sow it. You see, followers of Jesus sow seeds of the gospel in the fields that God has put them. How can someone hear the words of life without someone else telling them? How can their heart be transformed by the power of the gospel if we are unwilling to proclaim it? Let's talk about hearing of the word for a minute. Verse 8 says this, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. And then verse 10, he says something else here. He says, to you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God, but for others they are in parables so that seeing they may not see and hearing they, they may not understand. It's actually a quote from Isaiah 6, 9 and 10. They are hearing the word, but they are not hearing it. In one ear and out the other. I'm sure you've done this before. You're intensely watching the World Cup and your wife says, hey, will you make sure you bring the kids a baseball cap to their t-ball practice? Sure, no problem. No problem, I can do that. Then goal number one and you're running around the house and goal number two and then goal number three is rescinded because of an offsides and now you're yelling at the TV. Pretty soon you're off to baseball practice with no hats for the kids. And your wife turns and looks at you. Did you bring a hat for your kids? I'm sure you understand. In one ear, out the other. Does this happen when you hear the preaching of the word of God? It may be happening right now. You may be thinking about where you're going to lunch today, right? Rather than who has God placed in your life to sow the seeds of the gospel to. But I believe, actually, this goes way more deeper. This goes way deeper than this. One of the scriptures we would use in explaining to people in Thailand why people don't come to faith in Christ very easily or in mass, even after a hundred years of the gospel being proclaimed in that country, people are still worshiping idols. I mean, the percentages are entirely high. Why is that? Psalm 115.4 says this, talking about idolatry in the lives of people. It says, their idols are silver and gold. Literally, they're made by human hands. They have mouths but don't speak. They have eyes, but do not see. They have ears, but they do not hear. They have noses, but don't smell. They have hands, but don't feel. They have feet, but don't walk. And they do not make a sound in their throat. And then he says this, those who make them become like them. 
so do all who trust in them. See, these idols have ears, but do not hear. We have created idols in our life. We don't worship a statue and call it our God. But we have created idols in our life. Whether it be money, whether it be finances, whether it be our job, whether it be be our entertainment, whatever that may be, we have created these idols that we worship. And pretty soon we become like them. You see, God desires for his people to have spiritual ears that the Holy Spirit opens to hear the message of the gospel. Again, we're fighting a spiritual battle. We need the power of the Spirit to overcome this. It is not how great we share the gospel. It is not how awesome we are in our life, but the power of God. You see, these other two soils, the soil of the rocky soil, the soil of the thorny soil, the seed grows but ends up not producing fruit. Why? These people understand the gospel. They have knowledge of what the gospel is. Sometimes they even receive it with joy. They fall away. They do not have saving Faith. We know that we understand that we cannot lose salvation because it is God's work. But in this case, they have never truly been saved. John 8.31 says this, So Jesus said to the Jews who have believed in him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. This, the King James Version says, Continue in my word. One of the characteristics of a believer is they continue to walk in Christ. They're not perfect. They get off. They repent. They continue to follow Jesus, to continue to look to him. The rocky soil consists of people when, when they do decide that they want to try to follow Jesus, that things get difficult, they have no roots and can't withstand the pressures of the world. I remember this story, and I remember um, I, this story has been in indelible impact in my life. I, I went to play basketball um, with some guys in Thailand, and um, the leader of that group I knew that's who I really needed to target with the gospel. And so I took him to side before one of our games. I shared the gospel with him, and he said, yeah, I want to believe in Jesus. I was, like, shocked for a minute. I was like, are you, what? Like, this is, what? Okay, all right, let's pray to receive Christ. So he prays to receive Christ right there at the, at the moment. Now, one of his friends on the team, I shared the gospel with him as well, and he was like, nah, you know, I'm not really ready. I don't want to receive at this moment. So I met with both of them, and we began to study. And pretty soon I, I realized that the first guy who had received Christ, he stopped coming to our meetings. And I, and I, and I, and I remember, and the other guy who said I'm not ready, he kept coming to the meetings. 
And he kept going, I, I want to know more about this. Tell me how this works. Tell me who Jesus is. Let's read some more. So you're saying that I have to, I have to give up these things. He's counting the cost for his faith. And pretty soon, uh, uh, this first guy, his name is Gong. <laughs> he was gone. I couldn't get a hold of him. Didn't know where he was. It was like three months. I, I couldn't get a hold of this guy. So where is he? One of his friends goes, he became a Buddhist monk. So he comes back from his Buddhist monk um, time. We go, what happened, man? I thought you were following Jesus. Like, we were meeting together and you become a Buddhist monk. He says this. He said, I told my mom what happened. She said, I'll disown you, son, and you'll never be able to live in my house if you follow Jesus. And he said, right then and there, he said, all right, I'll become a Buddhist monk. I'll do whatever you want, mom. And he was sad when I talked to him, but he understood that he had a choice to make and he chose not Christ. Now the guy who didn't end up coming, he came to the meetings, he counted the costs, he understood that his family would disown him if he came to Christ. And you know what he did? He came to Christ, he proclaimed the gospel to his family. And he stood upon Jesus. He had roots. The next soil, the soil of the, the thorns, actually hits home quite a bit. Because this is a distracting soil, and it hits home a lot in our culture in America. It's the person who comes to church interested in what the Word of God is saying, but as soon as Monday rolls around, it is bills to pay, money to make, and the Word of God takes a back seat in their life. It's the family that likes hearing the Word of God, but the club team or the traveling baseball team has taken control of your weekend. The Word of God, again, takes a back seat in your life. It's the new lake house, that God wants you to enjoy nature, right? So the word of God can sit back there. It's the high school student or the college student who's locked in on Sunday morning. He hears the word of God. He's all energized. He's jazzed up to be about the gospel. He understands the gospel, but gets home. He downloads his text message stream. He looks at Twitter or Snapchat. And guess what? The word of God has taken a back seat in his life to the events, relationships, whatever. You see, obedience to the word of God is inconvenient. And because of that, many times the word of God is choked out in the lives of people. This is a spiritual battle. Matthew 7, 17 says this, Every tree bears good fruit. Every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear 
good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Jesus said, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Followers of Jesus continue in their faith. They endure to the end. If you're feeling this morning like you're getting choked out by the desires and the pleasures of the world, get some of that repentance roundup out and repent. And peel back the layers in your heart to be able to hear and receive the word of God. This is what true followers of Christ do. They repent and they turn and they get back on track. This is the last point. We're almost done this morning. Verse 15, zone in. If you've zoned out the whole time, clock in. This is, it. This is where you need to be. As, verse 15, as for that in the good soil, they are those who hearing the word hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. Verse 16, no one after lighting a lamp covers it with a jar or puts it under a bed, but puts it on a stand so that those who enter may see the light. For nothing is hidden that will not be made manifest, nor is anything secret that will not be known and come to light. Take care then how you hear for to the one who has, more will be given. And to the one who has not, even what he thinks that he has will be taken away. This is our last point this morning. It says this, the church reproduces gospel proclaimers. The church reproduces gospel proclaimers. Those that have been saved by the grace of God will then in turn tell of that grace to other people. They have been enlightened into the kingdom of light. They have been taken from the domain of darkness and into the kingdom of light. And they will now become light to people. They will proclaim the good news about Christ. Not only do believers hear the gospel, they respond to the gospel. The word of God transforms the heart of the followers of Jesus. Take care of your heart. It is the wellspring of life. Those who hear, all they can do is be light in darkness. All they can do is sow seeds of the gospel in the fields in which God has placed them. They understand this is a real battle for souls. They continue to sow seeds of the gospel, not knowing in which soil it lands, not really caring. It is God's work. We see 50 souls saved this year by your gospel proclamation, or we see one soul saved this year. May God be glorified that you're proclaiming and that you're sowing the seeds of the gospel. This is my prayer for Northwest, that we would be people who the word of God is central to our lives, that we are proclaiming it to one another in our homes, in our small groups, in our workplace, and in the places where God wants us to go in darkness. Gospel proclaimers 
Guess what? Gospel proclaimers are gospel hearers. That's why my job is so difficult. Gospel proclaimers are gospel hearers. The passage ends with a warning. Take care then how you hear. For the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he thinks that he has will be taken away. God has called us to be a gospel-proclaiming church, a people that proclaim his message. Kyle's going to come up, and he's going to do an invitation. And I want to I share with you three things to three different people in the audience today. You may be there, and you may be thinking to yourself, I am ready to receive the word of God. I am ready to receive Christ and it's time. This is not an emotional decision, but I'm ready for Jesus to be my Lord and Savior. I am ready to understand that I am a sinner in need of a Savior and I repent and believe upon Christ. That may be you this morning. There are some here that recognize that they have received the gospel. And yet, they are not the good soil. They are not producing fruit. Maybe they've let the cares of the world or the, the deceitfulness of riches crowd out the word of God in your life or in your family's life. You haven't rejected God's word, but you've neglected it. And maybe today you want that to change. I want to ask you to take an incredibly bold and humble step of drawing a line in the sand and saying, today that changes. You don't have to walk forward to make a decision, but you can. And it helps solidify decisions in your life as you bring your family or you bring your spouse. Is this a moment where your whole life changes? Your heart is peeled back, the layers. You say, no, it's... I want to be a gospel proclaimer of my life life of my family. I don't want to get choked out by the world. Finally, if you have somebody that you have been praying for, that you have been sharing with, that you have been sowing the seeds of the gospel, why wouldn't you pray for that person that they would be the good soil, that they would produce 30, 60, or 100 fold? Why not come and ask God boldly, for them to be the good soul.